Hey, this is Mike Brake, and I'm the pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. I want to say thank you for stopping by our podcast today. We really do believe that you're only one step away from the relationship with God that you've been wanting. So I hope the message today gives you encouragement, gives you some vision so that you can take that next step towards freedom. Enjoy the message. This week, we're going to, um, before we get into our message today, I want to kind of prep you for next week and the coming weeks. So we're going to start a brand new series next week. Um, called Difficult People. How do you deal with difficult people? And uh, this is kind of um, stems from last summer when we asked you to ask questions. We said, hey, you submit questions and then we'll vote on them. And then during the summer, we're going to answer the top six uh, most asked questions. And the, the second most asked question was, why are Christians such jerks? And so we did a sermon um, called why are Christians such jerks? It was a tough one for me to answer, but we dove into it. And it was kind of this idea of there's difficult people in our lives. And so we're going to spend, rather than one week on that, we're going to spend um, about four weeks on, hey, how do we deal with the people in our lives who are uh, critical? How do we deal with the people who are hypocritical in our lives? Next week, we're going to do one. I never thought I would do a sermon on this, but how do you deal with the person who's always buried in their phone? Like the person who's got a piece of technology just always in their face. How do you deal with that? And, and the reason we're going to talk about it is because some of us, this is a real issue in our life. Like it is crippling our relationships. It's crippling our, our marriages. Um, in the workplace, it's killing us. And so we're going to, we're going to dive into this and look at some of you are like, you just described my, my spouse. You know, <laughs> uh, don't point. Um, that's not nice. But um, we're going to talk about these things. Um, it's going to be very practical. Uh, at the same time, I think it's going to be very challenging because I know as I've been prepping these messages, um, there's a lot that I got to look at at me and my practices and how I'm a difficult person as well. And there's some things that God has to work on me there. So the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to have the, the final message in our series called Love Los Alamos. And so we've been going through this series um, trying to kick off 2019 to say, hey, God's got a plan and a purpose for you. And in 2019, it's to be a, a, a part of a bigger story than just you. Like life is more than just me, myself, and I. And he wants us to be involved in the lives of others. He sent his one and only son. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Like God wants a relationship with everyone. And that includes everyone in Los Alamos. And he's called us to be a part of that movement. So kind of our theme verse throughout this series has, has stemmed out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's going to be on the screen again. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is Jesus talking. This is his final moments uh, before he leaves earth and, and, and goes to heaven. He says, I'm going to leave. The Holy Spirit's going to come. My spirit's going to be in you. And so he's already died on the cross. He's already risen from the grave. Everybody's seen it. It's a big stir. But he said, now is the time when I leave and the Holy Spirit's going to come. He says, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he says, hey, you want to see God activated in your life? You're like, hey, I want to see the power of God working in my life. He said, there's, there's a key to that. You're going to tell people about me. You be my witness, like someone who's on, who's on, 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 a, on a trial stand in a, in a courtroom. They're going to tell things about they've, what they've seen and what they've heard. And he says, you do that, you tell people about me, you're going to see God working in your lives. And so what we've been doing is some flashbacks. 
We, we look at the, the early church and what they were doing, and then we would flash back to the Gospels to see either what Jesus said or things that he did. So we went to Samaria. We saw when Jesus went to Samaria and, and that whole region was transformed when Jesus just loved on that one woman. He invested in that one woman. Last week, we, we, we flashed back to Jesus telling his disciples to love each other. He's like, they were doing this church thing together and they were growing and God was adding people and, and it was, miracles were being done. But you saw they were doing things and sharing things together. And we flash back and Jesus says, hey, I got one command for you. One, I'm going to sum up the whole Bible into one command. Love one another. So it's one thing to love, but don't forget the one another part of that command. So we're going to flash back today. But before I do that, a lot of you guys have been flashing back in the first part of 2019. Anybody do the 10-year challenge on, on social media, on Facebook? You've seen it around. You've been seeing people do it. You're like, some of you guys, what is the 10-year challenge? We got some, some pictures here. I think it started up with uh, Zuckerberg on, on Facebook anyway. But basically, people would post online. Here's a picture of me in 2009. And then here's a recent picture of me in 2019. And you can either see the, the big difference between uh, myself, like how much I've, I've aged and changed, or for some people there wasn't very much, and so we had a lot of, there were celebrities, sports figures, people just jumping on this. So all throughout January, if you're on so social media, you saw this of people uh, posting their 10-year their challenge pictures. There was even a cow that got onto this, and so here's a cow from uh, 2009. He did the 10-year challenge, and here he is in, in 2019. Um, so um, anyway, I, I'm, I'm uh, sorry. And then uh, we have we even had some people within our church um, do this. Jeff Sharp. He's been with us since day one. And I love Jeff. He's been uh, very gracious in lending his time, but also his wisdom uh, to us as well. And so he did the 10 year challenge. And so fast forward to 2019. And look, I mean, it's just sometimes the differences uh, can, can be huge um, with that. Um, here's the thing. We looked at those and, and we laugh and um, you could see the difference in what has changed physically in appearance. And the question I want to ask us today is what has changed in you spiritually in the past 10 years? What has, what has changed in you in, in just even the last year? We are, our, our mission as a church is we are here to help people take their next step in their relationship with Jesus together. And for a lot of us, and I even know I can see times in my life when I would make it from one year to the next and I would look back, I grew physically, I changed physically, maybe even some relational changes, but I never took a step of faith in that year. And so what we exist for is to help people take their next steps of faith. I'll give you an example. I used to be a youth pastor for 10 years. We would go to summer camp um, um, each and every year. One year I went to camp and I met two young men from uh, Las Cruces. And we, we, um, we just hit it off very well. And they were able to share and open up. But one young man, he came in that year and he was really struggling with addiction to drugs. And so he, he had a rough family life and he was into some stuff that he did not want to be in. So we spent that week like God got a hold of him. We had some great counseling time together. And he, he's like, here's my next steps coming out of here. We outlined it. Here's some conversations I need to have. Here's, you know, I need, here's my path forward. Fast forward a year. And this is before social media, so I couldn't really keep up with him or anything like that. He's back at camp, and I'm like, I'm so excited to see him. So I talked to him. I was like, hey, tell me how it went. Well, you know, it's been a year. Did you take some steps? 
And it was like nothing had changed in one year. We had the exact same starting conversation and the exact same conversations that entire week because he did not take any steps that he knew God was calling him to take. It was tragic. It was tragic. Contrast that with another young man. He was a senior that year, that first year, and I, and I met him. His name was Zach. Zach was going to graduate. He was going to, that, after that summer, go to college. And he was, set, he was like in a NASCAR, like stock car racing. Like he was doing dirt tracks at 18. And his dad was huge into that. But Zach had known for quite some time before coming into camp that God was calling him into a different direction, that God was actually pulling him to full-time ministry. And while there was college and things that it was set, he was just like, I, I like it, I love it, but not so much. But he knew dad loved it. And he knew he was going to have to go back home and, and, and have some conversations, some really tough conversations if he was going to take his next steps of faith. And so we walked through some of those things, what that might look like and how that might go. Fast forward a year. Zach is at camp again. Now, Zach's not supposed to be at camp. He graduated. Like, he's not allowed in. It's, it's for high schoolers only. Zach came back to camp as an intern for the church in which he was a student. Zach, how'd it go? Tell me about it. Did you talk to your dad? Yeah, I did. It was tough. But they worked through it together. And Zach was on the path that God was leading him to to, to get to full time ministry. Next steps. Each one of us have a choice on whether we're going to walk out of here today if we're just going to stay the same or take a next step. Like we meet here, just let's just say Sunday mornings. You have every day you could take a next step. If you just took one principle that we applied today and you did that for 52 weeks and you, so you're like, hey, there's 52 things that I've worked on and do you think you would be farther along spiritually than, than you were a year ago if you were able to do that? Yeah, I think we all would. So I'm about us taking next steps. So as we flash back today, we look and say, this is how God wants the church to go. We're going to flash back and see how can we apply that in our life. We're going to talk about leadership today. We're going to talk about a, a, how we can be a leader in this movement of God called Love Los Alamos. Because if you just look at the surface, you maybe say, well, there's just like 40 or 50 of us here in the room. Not really anything going, like God's moving. But yeah, yeah, yeah. if you look below the surface you'll see that God is at, at moving in your life. He's moving in your family's life. He's moving in, in your friends. He's moving in your workplace. And if we get on board with that, you're going to see a movement of God unlike you've never seen. So we're setting ourselves up to be leaders today in this movement of God. So what I want to do, I want to look at Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at Acts chapter 6 and see um, what the church was doing, then we'll flash back. It says in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, Church is rolling along, and it says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, so there's a movement going on. It's growing. God's at work. That, that word um, multiplied, you're going to kind of see that theme throughout today. It says, but there were rumblings of discontent. So even though they're gro growing, there's going to be problems. And we talked about that last week on doing relationships together. Anything good that's going on, is, you're going to face problems. It's going to be how do you work together through those issues? And you're going to see if you work through it correctly here, they got a problem. It can either divide or it can bring them together and multiply. The Greek-speaking believers complain that the Hebrew -speaking, about the Hebrew-speaking believers. So the Greeks, are, in a sense, are the outsiders. The Hebrews are the insiders here. 
Now, they're all together, they're all Christians, but you can still see this favoritism playing out. It says, saying that their widows were being discriminated against the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, the original disciples, called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word, not running a food program. And so the brothers, and so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. And when the, then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everybody liked the idea. Since I can't pronounce all their names, they chose seven men. And then it says, so God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many, many of the Jewish priests were converted. So there, there was this food program going on, but you had the 12, the, the, the 12 apostles, disciples, they were serving these leaders. And, and they were, in, a, in a way, it's not so much the tension here isn't, oh, well, teaching is above a food program, a food distribution program. The tension here was like, hey, guys, you're the, you're the 12 that spent the most time with Jesus. Like, you know, you saw it. You heard what he said. Like, you were on the inside. Get rid of the trays. We can do that. You tell us what he said. We need to know what he said. You guys talk. We'll serve. That was the tension. It's not, it's not one's better than the other. And so they all get on board. All the leaders get on. You know, they, they're like, hey, we'll do this together. And so what I want, to, what I want you to see is this, though, for the 12 was not always part of their DNA. Like they were trying to pry the serving trays from these guys. This was not how it always was with them. And that's where I want to flash back. I want to flash back um, to a few places. We're going to take a journey here. It'll be up on the screen. It will also be, um, uh, um, it will also be, it can be on your Bible app as well on the notes in there. We're going to go to John chapter 11 because I want to talk about a guy named Lazarus. Lazarus had died. He was a friend of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus had heard that Lazarus had died, he had been dead for three days. Jesus shows up to the scene, and it says that Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Lazarus was a good friend of his. But at that time, Jesus performed one of his greatest miracles, and he actually raised Lazarus from the dead. He called out his name, and Scripture says that Lazarus, who was in the tomb, he said, roll away the tomb, called up to Lazarus, and here comes Lazarus in his grave clothes. Like they had already had the funeral, they'd sung the songs, and here comes Lazarus. And people started freaking out and losing their mind. I mean, we would too. And, but it also said that people started believing. Believing in Jesus when they saw the miracle. And this is the thing about Christianity. This is kind of a side note. Christianity has always been evidence-based in the sense that you don't have to check your brain at the door. Like it was always, hey, we saw this happen. And then we put our faith and trust in Jesus. These guys, they saw Jesus rise from the dead. Jesus later, he died. They saw him die. They knew he was in the tomb. They went to his tomb and then he wasn't there. And then they saw him alive. It was always evidence-based. We played our, put our faith in that. Lazarus rises from the grave. People start believing in Jesus. But the religious leaders, they don't like that because their people start leaving them to follow Jesus. Now notice what the religious leaders say. They say this in John chapter 11. It says, if we allow him, allow Jesus to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will, will come and destroy both our temple 
and our nation. Now, now that's big there. Their thing was the temple. Like, that's the central point of their, their, their faith was the temple. And they're like, they follow Jesus. He's, he's going to replace everything. And Jesus would be like, yeah, that's kind of the point. You put your faith in me, whatever temple, whatever your idols are, I, I come to replace those things. And it says, from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Translation, the stage is set. The tensions are high. Everybody's looking for Jesus. Some are looking to follow him to see, is this guy the real deal? Some are looking to get rid of him and kill him and squash this thing. So the stage is set. Now Jesus, he makes a turn. He, he actually, knowing that he, he kind of distanced himself from Jerusalem, but eventually he knows, hey, my mission is the cross. So he starts making his way back to Jerusalem. And when he makes his way back to Jerusalem, he has a conversation, a little huddle-up team meeting with his disciples. And I want you to see what he says to him here. They're headed to Jerusalem. This is in Mark chapter 10. Jesus, taking the 12 disciples aside, these are the original 12. Jesus once more began to describe everything that was going to happen to him. He says, listen, we're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, that's me, will be betrayed by the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will be sentenced him to die, hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. So he's having this conversation with the disciples. He's kind of like, hey, guys, I know it seems like it's fourth quarter, Super Bowl. It's a blowout lead. Like, all momentum is on our side. Like, this thing's in the bag. I, I know it looks like that. We're, we're like, we can see, that, see it. Greatness is about to be upon us. It's all good. But huddle up here because I want to give you some insight, a.k.a. Falcons 2017. We're going to blow this thing, all right? It's going to look like, like, you know, we had this great lead, we had it in the bag, and we're going to blow it. But, but unlike Falcons 2017, when it, when it looks like all is lost, when it looks like the game's over, don't worry, don't worry, we're going to come back and we're going to win. We got this thing. Now, these guys are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? They don't, they don't get it because they're like, dude, you just raised a, a dead man to life. Like, everybody's wanting to follow you, Jesus. Like, we're on the verge of greatness here. I don't know what all this flogging and, and mocking and spitting and death stuff, like, there's something great about to happen. And we know they don't get it because of what happens next. The Bible says then. Everybody say then. Yes. Then, okay? He go, it, the very next verse says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, these two brothers, they come to Jesus. Teacher. We want you to do whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. We're on the edge of greatness, Jesus. Do whatever we ask. And we kind of laugh at them. We kind of like kind of judge them a little bit. But if we took inventory of our prayer life, like, God, I know you're, I know you're great and you're grand. But about me. Can you, can, you, can you help me? Can you do whatever I ask, God? Can you, can you put me on this, this plane of greatness? Like, I need some help here. I need some greatness here. I need you here. I need this. I, and we kind of do the same thing. And so when the ten heard this, the other ten, they became indignant in, with James and John. Like, they're hot. Like, they come in, they hear what they're asking, and they're upset. It's like, 
you, you, it's fourth down, and you want the ball. No, I want the ball. Like, they're trying to argue, like, no, I want the glory. I want this. I want the power. And they're, they're like, what about us? You're trying to steal all of this greatness from us? No way. And they're having this argument. And you can imagine Jesus. Like, he had just given this emotional speech to these guys. He's moments from entering into Jerusalem, into this week in which he knows what's upon him. I'm going to get flogged. I'm going to get crucified. All these things. And here's the guys, the 12, that he's called, it's going to call to lead this world-changing mission. And it's like, time out. Like, I know we just called a time out. We get back to the huddle and everybody's fighting over who's going to get the ball. Time out. You know, he's just rolling his eyes like, are you kidding me? And this is what he says. He takes them aside. And he says this. He says, You know that those who regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know, how it, we know how this works, Jesus. That's why we're asking you to be on top. We want some of that greatness. And four of the most powerful words in scripture. I love to me these always resound with me. He says, "Not so with you." Some of your translation says, "Among you it will be different." Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, guys, my movement, this church, is, is going to be used for a different purpose than how this world does things. Now, we've had this ladder throughout this series, kind of as an illustration. We said in week one that if you have this ladder... If it's not in the right position, if you're not positioned for your purpose that God has for you, it doesn't matter where you climb. If it's not positioned correctly, it leads to nowhere. And, and today, in talking about greatness, in talking about leadership, in our, in our world's view, a lot of times we see people you know, wanting to get to the top. Like, hey, give me, give me the, the elevator to the top. I don't even want to take any stairs. Just give me a straight shot up there. But people climb the stairs, and then you see someone who's like, like Tom Brady. Like, that's greatness. I'm not going to take anything away from that. Like, we see that, and like, he's working on six Super Bowl championships, and I mean, just what they've accomplished, it's greatness. Like, love them or hate them, call them cheaters, or whatever. like, even still, they're great cheaters. Like, um, you know, we would say, that's, that's greatness. We would associate greatness with accomplishment, be it in a sports field, or be it in, in, in what people do in the world. Some of us, we would say, hey, it, it has to do with fame, celebrity. It's with power or authority or success that we would see in people and say, that's great. And so Jesus says to the guys, hey, you want to be great? And they're like, yes, I do. Pick me. He says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Hands go down. And for them, like for us, serv servant is a concept. But for them, they knew servants. They're like, Joe. You mean a servant like Joe? Like, I know Joe. Like, they could point to someone and name him as a servant. And he would say, I'm not done yet, guys. You want to be first? You got to be a slave to all. Oh, whoa, 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 what? Like, the servants, at least, at least Joe got paid. 
But now we got to go to the back of the line. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Jesus flips leadership. He flips greatness on them. Jesus came to replace everything. If they start believing in Him, our temple's gone. If they start believing in Him, our nation, like everything that we value is gone. And Jesus would say, yes. When those disciples walked through Jerusalem and they saw the temple, they're like, Jesus, do you see this temple? It's amazing. Look at it. And Jesus like, I know. It is, it is amazing, but guess what? Every rock, every stone's coming down. Because in God's eyes, greatness is not the things that we see here on this earth. He says you're going to flip it. Flipping leadership. Flipping greatness. And that's what Jesus does. Because for so many of us, we would see the ladder of success. We would see the ladder of greatness. And we would look up to those who have reached it on this earth that we would consider, that culture would consider great, and say, man, there's such a cost to making it to the top. They were so willing to, to, to take the steps and do whatever it took to get to the top. And Jesus would flip that. And he would look down and say, there's going to be a great cost to my mission, to my purpose. And yeah, it's going to cost me my life, but I'm willing to take that step down and take it. Many of us, we would look up to those who have, who have achieved greatness and say there's so much hard work and, and, and sacrifice to, to, make it to, the, to make it to the top. And Jesus would look down and say, yeah, I'm going to have to take a step down and I'm willing to do the hard work and sacrifice my life for these guys. And while so many of us would look up and when we would make it to the top, we'd get up here and we'd be so puffed up with pride looking down at everyone else. Look at me. Look at, look at all the work I've done, the PhDs that I have, and all the stuff that I've earned that I've done, and how's the weather down there for you, and how dare you treat me like that? And Jesus would flip it and say, my mission is going to take humility. I'm God coming down to earth, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. And these guys, they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. Because they go into Jerusalem, and we find out that on the night that he was betrayed, he has what's known as the Last Supper. They're celebrating a, a holiday feast called the Passover that they celebrated for generations. And in the middle of that, that scene, in the middle of that dinner, Jesus gets up from the table. He takes a towel, and immediately the panic sets in because they know what he's doing. He had taught them. He had told them, you need to serve. And he grabs a towel, and that meant he was going to take the position of a servant, a slave, and he was going to wash their feet. Because no one in the room had taken the time to serve the other people. It's like going into class and the teacher says, pop quiz. And you're like, I haven't taken the time to study. I haven't taken the time to internalize. I am totally out of position here. And that's what Jesus was going to model for them, what it was to be a servant. And then he got arrested that night. And the next day, he didn't just model it. He lived it. When he gave his entire life for their sins, for your sins, and my sins. And he died on the cross, not to be served, but to serve you and I and give his life as a ransom for many. And they got it. 
and they got it. Flash forward, Acts chapter 6. These 12, they're like trying to pry the serving trays away from these guys. They knew how important this concept of serving other people, to be the least, to be last place and put others before you, they got it. And they're guys, guys, we can, we can join in on this thing together. You teach, you serve and preach. We'll do this. And everybody got on board. And you want to know what the, the math of collaboration is? The math, if you do the math of collaboration and people getting it and people joining in together like this, it's called multiplication. It's called, it's not addition, oh, you serve and you serve, that makes two and then we can reach two. No, it multiplies. That's what it says in Scripture in Acts chapter 6. It says, when they got together, God's message continued to spread. They had conflict. They had their problems. They had their issues. And they worked to, through them together. And then it says that they greatly increased in Jerusalem. And in the Greek, it just means they multiplied. They multiplied. The math of collaboration is multiplication. And for so many, what Christians were doing in that time was so appalling. Christians were associating with, with women. They were treating women with dignity. They were treating kids and orphans with dignity. Those who were sick, who were usually outcasts, they, they weren't afraid to go near them anymore because they saw what Jesus did in his life and they started to live it out. It was appalling to them because it was so countercultural. To everyone, but what was started out as appalling eventually became appealing. There's something different. There's something different, and it eventually became contagious. And they changed the world. They got it. And they served one another. When you see this type of leadership in now, today, when you see it, you admire it. And when you get a chance to work for it or follow it, you respect that person. And you can be a leader today without this, but you won't be a leader worth following unless you embrace it. And for Christians, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you are called to this type of servant leadership to put others before you, and there is a cost, and it is hard, and it is humbling. And I am so thankful since day one of Freedom Church. There has been people, and it continues today. I'm so thankful for the volunteers who serve in this church faithfully and consistently because we would not be able to accomplish what we're doing to be a part of this movement to take our next steps if it weren't for the people who serve week in and week out. And I'll just be straight up with you. We, we always need more, more people to help and serve. And we understand here, the purpose is to create a place that's welcoming for Los Alamos. Because Los Alamos needs to know about the love of Jesus. And when we come in here and we say hi or hello, we don't know what people are coming in with. But if we greet them, we take care of their kids, we serve them. You never know what God might do in someone's life. You might see someone get saved. You just come in and, and give them a high five as they come through the door. They might get saved. You might take care of their kids and they're like, hey, we got, we got, two, we got an hour without our kids. <laughs> That's amazing. And then God speaks to their life. There's four areas where you can serve. And I'll try to keep this brief, but 
You can serve on our, on our uh, uh, first impressions team, snacks, welcoming people. Like I would love for the day when we have our greeters are out in the parking lot greeting people. Like there's just a line of greeters, high-fiving everyone. We're not there yet, but that's fine. But greeting people, making them feel welcome. Our kids area. You can serve in our kids area. We do eight-week rotations. And I know there's a lot of, like, um, we do it seven and under. But there's a lot of six- and seven-year-olds. They would rather be in here than in there. I would love to expand that to, to reach all elementary-age kids, but I'm not going to burn out our volunteers. So we do it on an eight-week rotation. When we build up to another eight-week rotation, we'll look at adding another age group to where we can serve families and kids in that way. You can serve on our production team. We've got to set up sound and, and, and get the media going. If that's your, your, your deal, you can do that. Or set up. We get here at 8.30 in the morning. It's hard. It's fast-paced. But the more people we have, I tell you, the more fun we have too. So you can sign up for those online. I don't want to guilt anyone into doing it. I just want to, I, I, what I want to say is, if you want to, looking for a place to serve on Sunday morning, we have plenty of opportunities. But what I'm really looking for, what I'm really after, take this, when you take this home, when you take this to work, there's one question that I want you to leave here with. It's very simple. Four words. How can I help? You can take that anywhere. All excuses are gone. You can just say, how can I help? I remember when Rita and I were, were uh, uh, together, or we're still together, but I come home after a long day to work, and she said, hey, one of the most helpful things that you can do when you come home, I've been with the kids all day, and you come home, just say, how can I help? Then, then listen and then go do that. She may say, you can help by cooking dinner. You can help by, by taking care of the kids. You can help by keeping your mouth shut and going away for a while. I just need some space. You know, whatever it is, listen and then go do. Ask that to your spouse. Teenagers. Teenagers. Change the, the, the temperature in your home real fast. Ask this to your parents. I will, I'll put a word of caution. You might send them to the emergency room if you ask them, how can I help and genuinely ask this? They may send you to the emergency room and say, are you all right? Are you sick? Ask it. Because you serving today, teenagers, is going to set you up for success when you're married. You don't have to learn. You can take your steps now, today, so you don't have to learn it 30 years from now. Flash forward 10 years from now, Freedom Church, where are you going to be? Flash forward one year from now. Will you have taken any next steps of faith? I got a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. We celebrated holiday a few weeks ago. He said, he said, not everyone can be famous, but everybody can be great because greatness is determined by service. He didn't make that up. He got it from Jesus. And we're called to that today. Just imagine, just imagine what would happen if just Christians took this to heart. How can I help? And we took it into our homes. And we took it into our workplace. Rather than being the boss and people coming to you saying, how can I help? You took it to them and say, how can I help you? It changed the world once. And Freedom Church, I'm just crazy enough. I'm, I'm, I'm crazy enough to believe that it can happen again. We've got to apply this. Let's pray. Thank you again for listening to the podcast at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. A few next steps that you can take coming out of this. One is head to our website and let us know just exactly how we can help you take your next step. 
Also, if we have had a positive impact in your life or in your family, and you want to partner with us financially, you can go to our website and click Give. That will get the message out so we can impact more people through this ministry. And finally, click the subscribe button. That way you know you get the latest content from the podcast, as well as rate it, review it. That will help get the message out to others. Hope you have a a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening.